Hey, take your Bible and look over to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to continue us in our exposition of this prayer for spiritual strength. I've titled it The Transforming Power of Prayer Part 2. So if you missed this last week, you might want to go back and listen to that on our website so that you'll understand where we find ourselves today. But let me read the text for you again. It's such a wonderful prayer by Paul and one that needs to be part of our prayer life. Paul says, you follow along in 3.14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What a great section. You know, when you think about it, prayer is a a wonderful, wonderful biblical reality that we find in this text and in many other texts. Sometimes it's even humorous. Maybe you have heard of the little boy who was saying his bedtime prayers with his mother, and it went something like this, Lord... Bless mommy and daddy and God. And then he raised his voice, give me a new bicycle. And the mom just gently said right next to him, "Um, son, God is not deaf. And the boy said, I know mom, but grandma is in the next room and she is hard of hearing. (laughs) He wanted to make sure that his prayer was heard by his grandmother. I mean, on a more serious note, I've read some books of his on prayer, which are incredibly impactful. Ian Bounds said the life, power, and glory of the church is prayer. The life of its members is dependent on prayer. And the presence of God is secured and retained by prayer. The very place is made sacred by its ministry. Without it, the church is lifeless and powerless. Without it, even the building itself is nothing more or other than any other structure. Prayer, Bound said, converts even the bricks and mortar into a sanctuary, a holy of holies where God dwells. It separates it in spirit and in purpose from all other edifices. End of quote. That is the importance of prayer, even on this day and on this place. Maybe I could begin by asking you a question. What part does prayer play in your life? And I invite you this morning to sit before a man of God, the Apostle Paul, who knew how to commune with God. I think just even as I said that, it's nowhere in my notes to think of a man like this who we believe, at least according to the Scripture chronologically, probably spent 14 of his years, maybe even 17 of his years, in face-to-face direct revelation with God. 
He initially began to preach, of course, after his conversion in Acts 9, but he went away, and then he was in the church at Antioch for a number of years, but, and there he was in communion with God, if you will, God giving him the revelation and insight to the scriptures that we're reading. And so we sit before a man who knows how to pray. Obviously, the Lord Jesus Christ instructed us in the Lord's Prayer, but here is the Apostle Paul, and I invite you in to that prayer with us this morning, his prayer. It's found in 314 through 21, and it is a plea, a passionate plea for strength. It is a plea for the power of God to take place in prayer in the inner being or the inner man, if you will. Now, this prayer we begin last week contains four elements to it. The premise of his prayer, as he said at the opening here in 3.14, I bow my knee, he said, for this reason. Remember, he was going to pray in verse 1, and then he got distracted in that parentheses from 2 to 13, and he came back from for this reason in verse 1 and picked it up in verse 14, and I explained that. Then we looked at the posture of his prayer. He said, I bow my knees. And we said that there's a number of different postures in prayer throughout Scripture. This is one of them. And I took you through some of those places. But in a concise fashion, it was his attitude of devotion and submission. He was driven to his prayer. The posture's there, but more than the posture, because there's all different postures, was his devotion and his uh, submission to what he had just communicated being a minister of the gospel and a minister of the mystery. And the person to whom he prayed obviously was before the Father. Certainly you can pray to the Spirit, certainly you can pray to the Son, but I think you know that within the triune God, most of our prayers are addressed before the Father. The nexus of this prayer comes to that fourth element, and it's the petitions of his prayer. The petitions of his prayer. And there's three petitions, and you can see them, and they're, they're arranged by what we call in the Greek language a hina clause, and that is a clause of purpose. So I've arranged the outline according to what we find in the text. In fact, you can see the first one, that first purpose of that petition is found in verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, um, that is the beginning of his petition. It finishes there that you would be, that Christ would dwell deep down in your heart. The second petition is not found at the beginning of 17. That is actually supplied in the translation. The second trans the purpose is in verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love. That's one of his petitions, the second one. The third one, if we can get time to it, if we can get to it today out of time, in verse 19, that, there's that other purpose clause, that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. I likened this prayer last week to a telescope that just kind of keeps extending. It's bound up in the language that way. The first petition leads to the second petition, and the second petition leads to the third petition, and it could be 
that in the third petition, that you would be filled up to the fullness of God. I put it as a specific petition, but it could be that it's just a summary of the first two. But as he prays, imagine this telescope just going out and you're seeing greater contours of the character of God and how specifically you should pray and specifically how I should pray. Now those petitions are this. They're put in the form of a request and it's specifically this. He's praying for indwelling strength first. He's praying secondly for comprehensive love. And then thirdly, he's praying for complete fullness. Certainly as he prays, it becomes an example of what our prayers ought to be for this church and for your family and for your uh, grandchildren and even for the friendships and the community in which we live. The first petition we looked at last week, indwelling strength, indwelling strength. Look at it again, that according to the riches of his glory, that you would be strengthened with power, a play on words there, through his spirit in your inner being, and here was the purpose, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And we said he's praying for here this indwelling strength, that the end of it is that Christ would dwell and be completely at home in your heart through faith. That literally the Lord Jesus Christ would be settled down is the word, in your inner being, so that he would be completely at home in your heart. And we said that what this is, is a prayer of his lordship, that it would extend to every part of our life. That's how we pray. He says here, pray for this type of indwelling strength. That's what he prayed for. I would submit to you, that's what you should pray for. We spend so much of our time praying for the outer man and praying at prayer seasons for people, people physically, and that's fine. But Paul spent the bulk of his prayer praying for strength to be fortified in the heart, in the inner man, through the release of the power of the Spirit of God, that Christ would be at home in your heart that his lordship would extend to every facet of your life. So there's that first petition, to be strengthened, that Christ would be at home in your heart, that you may be even able to comprehend Christ's amazing love. And so as he prays for indwelling strength, it's as though the telescope goes just a little bit more fine. And he prays for something else, and that's what I bring you today. Look at it again in 17. I'll read it to you again. So that Christ, he says, may dwell in your hearts. Then he says, here's the second petition, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He moves us, if you will, from indwelling strength to comprehensive love. And here's his prayer. He's praying that you, that these Ephesians, that here in the scripture would be strengthened to know and even experience God's comprehensive love in the person of Jesus Christ. 
That's how he prays. And this ought to deepen our prayers. And I, and I really think they're linked. One man called them a staircase going up. I've used the phrase telescope. He's praying for indwelling strength for Christ to dwell in your heart. And as he's dwelling in your heart, it leads to this second feature of comprehensive love. Now he begins verse 17b with two metaphors. He talks about being rooted and grounded. He uses two illustrations. One is botanical, if you will, and the other is agricultural. And each is emphasizing depth rather than something superficial. And so he's praying that way. And, and he's speaking here first, if you, I could say it this way, of the foundation. He's praying, you pray in the same way that being rooted and grounded in love. He mentions the ideal of rooted first. It speaks just if in your mind to see it of a well-rooted tree. He's talking about here uh, roots, if you will, that go deep, that are firmly established. The ideal is literally to cause, to take root, to be fixed firmly. It really reminds me, maybe you too, of Psalm 1, where the tree, do you remember was what it said? The tree was firmly planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. So he, he's speaking here of this comprehensive love that you being rooted in, a, in this well-established love, and then he mentions the second metaphor there of being grounded and he changes it from botanical to agricultural and he's talking here about a well-established house if you will he's talking about the foundation in fact some of you remember when we walked on the foundation in our new building probably nearly uh what would that be uh almost four years ago at some point three and a half we were walking on the foundation. There was nothing else here. But of course, when they built this building, they laid the foundation because everything that would come after that foundation was constructed from that. So he's talking about a building here, a facility is the, the, where the word came from, being deeply founded. And so he speaks of a well-rooted tree and a well-built house. I think you'll remember, of course, Jesus' parable uh, where he contrasted the wise and the foolish builder and the foolish man built his house on the, what, the sand, but the wise man's house had its foundation on the, the rock. And so here as Paul begins this prayer, he's praying that you, being rooted and grounded, he, he says here, in love. And so love then becomes the soil that believers grow. That's the foundation. Now I do want you to note, just look again at verse 17b, that you being, he says, rooted and grounded. In other words, you already are rooted. You already are grounded, if you will. And here you're being rooted and grounded. Again, look at verse 17. It says there, in love. In fact, just to say this to you, love here is at the beginning of the original text. It would actually say in love, 
being rooted and grounded, but for the sake of a translation, it's placed afterward. But the love is emphasized here. The love comes first. And you say, what, what is this comprehensive love? Look at the text again. It says there that you may have strength, and I'm in verse 18, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. He is praying here that as we're already rooted and grounded in love, yet he's praying for this more comprehensive grasp of this love. He's praying, as you read there, that you would have strength, and then he uses this word, to comprehend. And it just, it, it's the idea of that word, to grasp something, to seize something, to understand and comprehend, not just intellectually, but I would even say experientially. Now, just let me take a footnote, and I'm just building a platform with you just for a few moments here. There's confusion in some scholars as to what is being comprehended. You'll notice that he just says in there, in 18, to have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the, the depth. And some go on to say that really he's praying that we would be able to comprehend the power of God. And he certainly used words for strength and power, and he links, some scholars link it back to chapter 1. Some scholars even say that what's being comprehended here is what he just said in the parentheses. It's the mystery of Jesus Christ. Some would go on to say there's a number of options. I don't mean to be tedious here, that it's the wisdom of God. He's praying that we'd understand the manifold wisdom of God. But listen, he is praying for strength I just want to be clear with you. To comprehend God's love for us. Now I say that for two reasons. And the reasons are right in the text. You can see them there yourself. He says in verse 17b, to be rooted and grounded in love. He's talking about agape love. Look at verse 19a. And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. And so here, he's praying that we'd be strengthened to comprehend, to seize, to grasp here the love of God. Now, let me just take you one step further and we'll dive in, okay? The question would then come, is he talking about God's love for us or your love for the saints? It's important to say that because we're trying to strengthen our prayer life. Is he talking about how much God loves you or is he talking about your love towards the saints? And I think it's very obvious, and I'll show you in a minute. He's speaking of the love of God revealed in Christ. He is praying that you would comprehend, that you would grasp, that I would comprehend and grasp the love of God in Christ Jesus for you. He's going to go on in chapter 4 through 6 and talk about your love for others. But before he gets to the imperative, he's going to address the indicative. Let me show you just from this book and a few other places. It's God's love for you. Look back at chapter 1. Do you remember this? In verse 4, even as he, speaking of God, <clears throat> the Father, verse 3, even as he, verse 4, chose us, God the Father chose you in him, in Christ 
before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. And then it has a period, and then it says this, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. What, what a remarkable thought there. It would change your life. It would change my life. God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, before the foundation of the world, foreordained you. And this he did by his predestinating work, but he did that all because and all based on and all founded upon his love for you before you even existed. It is the love of God that's bound up in Christ Jesus. Paul is praying that first. He'll deal with the second part, but I promise you this. You'll never love someone else until you're enamored with the love of God in your own heart, right? You'll never be able to see outside of yourself until you become so washed in his love that then all of a sudden you'll begin to feel a debtor to his grace and love that you'll begin to help others. So he's praying here. Is that how we pray? Do you just pray for the physical things? Do you just pray for your kid's happiness? Well, I hope somewhere here we're seeing that he's praying for indwelling strength and for comprehensive love. God the Father predestined you in love. Look over at chapter 2. You know this. And when it's talking about us being dead in our trespasses and sins, it says in verse 4, chapter 2, 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. I mean, it's so great, it's so magnificent, it's so matchless. We just sang about it. It's so marvelous. Paul's praying that you would grasp that. He's praying that that would seize you. He's praying that you would understand that. He's praying that Christ would dwell deep down in your heart and be firmly at home. And then he's now saying, listen, God's so rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and our sins or in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So listen, listen to the degree that we understand this. You say, well, Scott, I'd like to understand it more. It comes through prayer. You could understand that and grasp that intellectually. But Paul is now bowing his knee in submission to God the Father saying, work this in the believer's life. So there it is in 1, 4, and 5, and 2, 4. Look over at chapter 5 of Ephesians. This is not the power of God. This is not the, what I'm saying, the comprehend. It's not the power. It's not the wisdom. Okay, it's to understand his love. Therefore, and I'm in 5, 1, be imitators of God, beloved children, and walk in love. There's the exhortation, but you'll note what it's built off of. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So God the Father loved you, and here you're to walk in love as the Lord Jesus Christ has loved you, and he now calls you his friends. Listen, I just would submit to you, we must be somewhat shallow in our prayers. Certainly, we need to pray for physical things, and we understand that. We can pray with all, for all things, Ephesians 6, 18. But there's got to be something here 
There's got to be something in the pain and the heartache and the hurts of family and extended family that this is how we begin to pray. Do you remember when Paul said this in Romans 5.5 that God's love has been poured out into our hearts through, and I call it the agency of the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So God has just already done that in the life of a believer. And here Paul now is connecting that and saying, I pray that there would be a greater comprehensive love for him. In fact, in Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love toward us. Romans 5.8, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This certainly is his prayer. Indwelling strength, comprehensive love. Look down at chapter 5 of Ephesians in verse 25. He says, and you know this, Husbands, love your wives, and here's the example, as Christ loved the church, and here's the nature of that agape love, and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. So we're to love as Christ has loved us. So precious, beloved, is the love of Jesus Christ that Paul, in another book, burst into adoring praise when he said, I live by faith, you know that one in Galatians 2.20, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So here, this comprehensive love, and let me be clear, is not an exhortation for you to love God, though that is in the text. This is a a prayer, if you will, that you would grasp and seize and understand the greatness of God's love for you in the person of Jesus Christ. That love, beloved, is so strong. It is so sure. It is so steady. It is so secure. Here's the foundation of your life being rooted and grounded, and now would it expand? In fact, in that great text that will come up on the screen is Romans, and I'm just pointing this to you. Who shall separate us from the what? The love of Christ. Here's that security. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, he says in all these things we are more than conquerors. And the idea would be super conquerors. The Greek uh, verb there is nike, which obviously we get our English word Nike from. But you're more than conquerors through him Here's Paul's prayer, who loved us. He wants you to grasp that. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is how you can pray. Think, pray that way for me. So many of you pray for me on a weekly basis for me personally and my family. And here's a way to pray for both me and the people that you intercede with. Now, I've said it before that God's love, if you will, anticipates our love for other people. 
You say, like, well, what do you mean, Scott? Well, if you go back to Ephesians 4, he'll get to that in a few weeks. He says there, he's praying that we'd walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And in 4.2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in what? In love. But the foundation is his love towards us. His love towards us in Christ Jesus. In fact, practically, look at chapter 5-2, where it says there, and I read it earlier, to walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us, but he does exhort us to walk in love. But the foundation is God's love in Christ Jesus for us. Listen, I'll say it this way. You will always serve Christ out of the overflow of his love for you. I mean, this is what the Apostle Paul said somewhere in Corinthians when he said, it's the love of Christ that constrains me. That what constrained him was not that he was a debtor, like I, God did this for me, so I should do this for God. No, he said, who loved me and gave himself for me. And then he said in Corinthians 5, it's the love of Christ that constrains me. In fact, do you remember when Jesus said in John's gospel, he told us to love, you finish the sentence, to love one another even as I have, what? Loved you. Your love for people always flows out of the deep depth and riches of his great love for you. And here is a prayer that we understand that. And so the petitions are as a result of the indwelling uh, Christ in your heart, there is a greater comprehensive understanding of God's love in Christ. So here's how you pray. Now, now look at it again in verse 18, that you'd have strength to comprehend. And really, again, it's more than an intellectual apprehension. It's an experiential knowledge of his love for us. Do you remember when the apostle Peter in 1 Peter 1, 8, 9 says, though you have not seen him, he said you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Paul's just praying that we comprehend that more and more. Now you'll note, look at the text, that you're strengthened to grasp this love, verse 18, with all the saints. In other words, this is not just for pastors, deacons, deaconesses. You understand this. This is for all the saints. This is not a prayer for the spiritually elite. It is actually available, as Paul would say, to all the saints, to all the Jews, to all the Gentiles. But, but, but he keeps going here. And again, look at the text in 18. He says, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, if you will. He's addressing here, the subject is prayer, the comprehensive love, and he puts it just for the sake of an argument in four dimensions of Christ's all-compassing love. He's praying, as you can read there, I want to know what the breadth of that love is. I want to know what the length of that love is. I want to know what the height of that love is and what is the depth. Now, there's many fanciful things of 
what people might say this means, okay? Some people, I think it was Jerome, the church father, would point to the cross and he said the cross would give you the perfect you know, place to understand the height, depth, breadth, and length because the top of the post goes upward. The bottom of the cross goes down to the depths. The, the left side goes to the width and so forth. And there's a number of things that you would see in print on what this means. And I don't really know if Paul had one purpose in mind, but he's praying for a comprehensive understanding of this love. But I could tell you this, that his love is so broad that it cannot be contained. That the gospel isn't just for the Jew only, it's for the Greek. And the the gospel goes to the whole world, we know that in the book of Acts, so it's so broad that you can't contain or confine that love to just one people group. I could say out of this book that the love of God is so wide that it cannot be contained because his prayer goes all the way back into eternity where he predestined you in love. I could say that the love of God is so high that it cannot be concealed because blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the what? The heavenly places. So you can't confine this love. You can't contain this love. You can't conceal this love. It's in the heavenlies. And I would say to you that the love of God is so deep that it cannot be comprehended. He took you when you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, and He chose to breathe life in you. He pulled you out of the pit. In fact, it's not even a fair statement. We use that language. He pulled you out of the pit. You weren't even in a pit because you were already dead. He took dead people unresponsive to God with a cold, hard heart. And it says back in Ephesians that God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, remember that phrase, he made us alive. He breathed spiritual life into you. You know, I would say one of the ways you can just pray is, I'm thankful to say this, I'm just thankful for Tyler Tartaglia serving the Lord in... uh, in, uh, in Albania, what a testimony. But listen, if you knew Ty before he came to Christ, he was living for himself and living for his own purposes. And one day, he's out at Cody Lehman's house and Shannon Hurley is there and Tyler isn't walking with the Lord. He isn't pursuing the Lord. He didn't know Christ. So it wasn't that Christ wasn't dwelling in his heart. He wasn't in his heart. And Shannon says to him, hey, Tyler, listen. You better wake up because if you don't, God's going to come hard after you. And I kid you not, five minutes later, he's on Cody's rope swing on his tree, you know, jumping off that into the King's River, off that rope swing, and he held on too long. He fell off and he broke his neck within 15 minutes. And, and, he was put in a halo. And so 
his family and Brent Jackson would say, hey, listen, you're going to be in this halo for months. Why don't you just go to Teen Challenge? And by God's providence, he went to Teen Challenge, and God miraculously saved Tyler to the point where his whole heart is transformed. It's a beauty to behold So listen, his love is so broad, you can't confine it. His love is so wide, you can't contain it. His love is so high, you can't conceal it. It's in the heavenlies. His love is so deep, you can't even comprehend. How does God breathe life into dead people? Well, that's what he did for you, and that's what he did for us. In fact, I would just say to you on this Mother's Day, I just hope you walk out just thinking, I can't believe he redeemed me. I can't believe that God in Christ had me picked out. I can't believe that he sent his only begotten son to this earth to die in my place. I can't believe when when my heart monitor was a straight line and then he breathed life and made my spiritual heart come alive. Here's what Paul's praying. He's praying that you'd grasp that at salvation. But he's also praying that you would know as we sing it today something of the magnificent marvelous, matchless love. Do you ever sing that hymn? I think we sing it here. The, it's called the, the Deep Love of God, and it goes, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. In other words, the vastness of his love, the completeness of his love. And so he prays that you'd comprehend and be strengthened with the height, the depth, the breadth and the length, but, but that's not all. Look at verse 19. He adds to this prayer as he's praying, as his knee is bowed. He's praying this in verse 19. And what is the, Im, or excuse me, I was in chapter one. Go over to chapter three, verse 19. He says there, to know the love of Christ, 319, that surpasses knowledge. Now, obviously, you understand it. It's a paradox there. It's sometimes like we call an oxymoron, like the, the cereal grape nuts. It's neither grapes nor nuts. It's an oxymoron. This is a little bit of an oxymoron or a paradox. Paul prays that you would know, you can see it there, the love of Christ, but he quickly comes back and it says that it surpasses knowledge. In other words... He says, I want you to know something experientially which cannot be actually known. I want you to know this, but I want you to know that it surpasses knowledge. Now, this shouldn't surprise us because we know, look back in chapter 1 and verse 19, for the sake of another illustration, he is praying in chapter 1, is he not? that we would understand verse 19 of chapter 1, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. In other words, this is a power you can't measure. This is not Tesla. This is not technology. This is a power that, that is immeasurable. And he's praying that we would know it toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. So he speaks of immeasurable power there. Look again at chapter 2 and verse 7. He's he's writing here under the inspiration so that in the coming ages he might show, and here's another phrase, the immeasurable riches of his grace. In other words, it's so great, it's so profound. You, You can't 
put it and even measure it, if you will. In other words, you've been given every spiritual blessing, and so there's immeasurable power, immeasurable riches. And now he speaks of here, I want you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I, I think he's saying you can only know this by the Holy Spirit through the power of prayer. I, I think here his love surpasses knowledge just as his riches in chapter 3, 8 are unsearchable. In other words, Christ's love is so great that you will never plumb the depths of his love. But on the other hand, it is a prayer that you must experience this love. So let me just say this, that Paul is not praying superficially here. He's not just saying, God, be with, God, be with, God, be with. He's already with us. He's praying for indwelling strength of Christ dwelling in our heart. He's praying for comprehensive love. And here, beloved, he's, ask, he's asking in his petition not just to intellectually comprehend the amazing love of Christ Jesus. He is asking that we grasp in our inner being the vastness of Christ's love in our experience. Pray that. Listen, I promise you, as you pray that, your problems will begin to disappear. As you begin to become enamored with Christ's love, you'll be able to give out of that love towards others. When you become enamored with that, you'll lose any bitterness in your heart. You'll lose any lack of forgiveness in your heart because you'll be so stunned that of 7.3 billion people, he cast his love on you. You'll be so amazed that you'll really be able to sing with tears in your eyes, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, right? That saved a wretch like I. But you'll experience that. And some who have been forgiven much, Jesus said, love much. So Christ's love is so great. Let me just say it this way. We will never comprehend its immensity. Let me add a point to you. I remember in my doctorate class in Chicago, we were studying about Jonathan Edwards. And, you know, some people would say, I think I've told you that, that he is the greatest theologian, in, one in the world. But he is certainly the greatest theologian that American soil has ever produced. But he wrote on the love of God. And he wrote on heaven. And I just remember his writing to the end for which God created the world. He was speaking of our role in heaven. Far from being bored with a harp playing in the background. He put it that the greatest discovery of heaven is a continual increasing and understanding of the work of God in Christ Jesus for us. In other words, he built the argument that we're learning now. But imagine the day when we have no more sin and for all of eternity we will understand this. So Paul's just saying while you're here on this earth, pray for that. This is not a petition that we love Christ more. There's other places that say that. But that we experience Christ's love for us. Do you remember what we looked at that text in 1 John? I think it's 4, 9. You remember it. We love, comma, because he first, what? Loved us. And so be 
understanding of this comprehensive love. Do you remember the great hymn? Some people said it's the greatest hymn ever penned in human language. It's called The Love of God. Listen to the lyrics of it. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. And then this line, could we with ink, it says, the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, he said, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade. He said to write the love of God above would drain, he said, the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it forevermore shall endure the saints and the angels' song. I think his last name was uh, Laman. What, what a great, great hymn of the faith. So, so listen, come back with me. Paul just said, I bow my knee for this reason, because I was going to pray and then I got distracted. I'm bowing, he's, he says, my knee. He, he goes down to his knees, but it's, it's submission, it's devotion, it's awe, it's reverence. And he said, I bow my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. He's we're praying to our Father because of the tenderness, the compassion, the intimacy. But not only that, we're praying to our Father because of His authority that every family on heaven and earth derives its name. In fact, everybody who has breath derives its name from God who is our Father. He's not only the creator of the world, He's the creator of life. And then he begins to launch in these petitions. The first one is for indwelling strength, that Christ would dwell in your heart. The second petition is for comprehensive love. That's how we can pray for one another. That's how you can pray for this church. And that's how we can pray that the community that we live in would know something of this. That's how you can pray for missionaries, right, across the globe. May God give us wisdom. I'll pick up that third petition and the final prayer of enablement next week, okay? Would you bow your head with me?